OddCert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay respect to elders, past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the OzSert Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana, and for this episode, I'm joined by Tracy Weeks and Brian Hay, where we chat about cybersecurity culture and awareness. We'll then get an update from my new co-host, Beck, and OzSert's director, David Stockdale, about what they're seeing in the local cybersecurity space, as well as a look at events and training that OzSert will be offering in the coming weeks. We look forward to bringing you the best of the Australian cybersecurity industry with fascinating insights, great stories from the field, and lessons you can take back to your workplace to better protect your organization's critical assets. Hi, Tracy and Brian. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Can you just start by telling us a little bit about yourselves and how you got into cybersecurity? So maybe we'll start with Tracy. Oh, hi, thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm very excited to be part of the podcast today. So I've been um, with Queensland Health for 27 years and within cybersecurity field for about 10 years. I have a training and awareness background. They were looking for someone to start running an information security program at the time and I came on board not knowing anything about cyber, but obviously having a really good background in Queensland government and and different training awareness fields. So yeah, that's how I got involved. It's very exciting, loved it, and I'm very passionate about cyber now. And what about you, Brian? Well, mine's an interesting story, I think, from because it it shocks a few people, but the reality was I was a detective inspector in charge of the public sector corruption team at the Crime and Corruption Commission, it's now called, and then there was the Crime and Misconduct Commission. And I got sick and tired of working down there, and I was desperate to get out. And I picked up the the, the old Police Gazette, or it was online or something, I saw there was a vacancy in the stock squad, and I I got sick and tired of working with the, the CMC. So I put in for an application for a detective inspector at the stock squad, or the rural squad they used to call it, because I figured I could ride a horse, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I got a phone call some little while later, and there's a guy called George Nolan, who was Assistant Commissioner at State Crime Operations Command. And he said, Brian, it's, it's uh, George Nolan here. I said, uh, yeah, sir. He says, what are you thinking, you dickhead? You're not going to the stock squad. He said, but uh, we'd like you to come back and be the head of fraud and become, you know, put an effort in and become the face of fraud in Queensland and the fraud squad. So I thought, oh. So in the fraud squad, not the actual face of fraud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Could that's be. what he said, the face of fraud. So there you go. And, and when I got to the fraud squad, I, it was, of course, within that group, I had the major fraud investigation team. You had the identity crime team, the high-tech crime investigation team, which is now the cyber crime unit, the forensic evidence examination unit for digital forensics. We had the, um, I had covert and surveillance back then, the arson squad, case assessment, forensic accountants team, and the um, financial intelligence team. But the most interesting ones for me, obviously financial crime, but I could see cyber just exploding and been in it ever since. Really enjoyed it. Amazing. So that's really interesting because you come from career paths that people would traditionally not associate with coming from cyber because almost everyone says you've got to have been a professional nerd of some description, you know, whether you're a network engineer or a developer or something like that. You've taken that very non-traditional path. Has that made it challenging for you to be accepted in cyber because you've taken those different paths? Yeah, I actually found it has. Maybe more how I perceive myself because I'm not technical. I'm always thinking, you know, do I know enough? 
am I good enough to be able to share my information? But I am talking to everyday people about what they can do to protect themselves at home and at work. So I think it's been great actually coming in, not having a cybersecurity background and learning everything on the job and learning from the subject matter experts that I work with because I've learned from them and if I can actually understand what they're talking about, which sometimes you know can be a challenge, then I feel like I can actually translate that information into everyday speak and actually come up with some really cool and creative campaigns based around that information and make it a bit more you know, real and personable. So. so you're like a nerd to human translator. That, I, it's, I do like to think of myself like that, but not, not, they're not nerds, no. They're no, just very you know, intelligent people. It's interesting for me. I never, um, I always called it out early that I I'm not a technologist. I'm not that smart. And I look at this through the face of crime, the face of victimisation. I look at it from a crime and a, let's say, a more 360 degree people. Because I would argue that the challenge with cybercrime at the end of the day we focus too much on the technology and not the fact that te- the technology is the tool, it's not the end game. At the end of the day, we have people attacking people and communities and organisations using the technology as the tool. Hmm. And it's it's evolved out. And I suppose as we, you know, I was on a lot of that early policy development days in Australia and some of the activities and the strategies that went in place... And I've never pretended to be a technologist. I've always had the utmost respect for the people that do have that knowledge and talent. It's because it's a skill. And I've never derided or, you know, shown nothing but respect for those people because I'm in awe of them. I think, quite frankly, they're my heroes. I mean, (laughs) the work they do every day is extraordinary. So what brings you to Oslo 2021? I mean, you've You've been, I know, Brian, you've been here for many years as a supporter of the event and presented and spoken and participated in all sorts of ways. And I'm not quite as familiar with your participation. No, this this is your first time. This is my first time. Amazing. So we've got a first timer and a very experienced hand. What brings you here the first time? Why do you keep coming back? Assert is the premier cybersecurity event in Australia. Its roots go back to the foundation of meeting the challenge. It brought people together across this, not just this country, but this planet with a shared agenda to make a difference. Mm. That's why I keep coming back because the appetite has never waned from the original mission. Yeah, I, this is just an amazing opportunity to not only talk about cyber awareness and the importance of what we do as part of the whole cybersecurity culture, but for me, it's an opportunity to to network, to meet some people who are working in the field, and especially being a woman in cyber, that's a, a niche little field. So it's been fantastic already to have an opportunity to go and talk to some other women that are here at the event, learn about what they're doing, and especially there are a lot here working in the technology space within cyber, and that for me is really exciting. So I've been learning so much, and it's just been an absolute pleasure to be part of it so far. One of the things you guys are obviously really big on is awareness and culture around security. Um, we keep talking about people being the best line of security against cyber attack, but that, that's that's a pretty hard message to sell in an industry that's been heavily focused on throwing technological solutions at it. Yeah. How do you go about actually taking people on that journey? Well, I think at the moment we've got a position where we've got a very strong evidence base to show that humans are that great vulnerability point and people can make a big difference. And I think... We've got to look at this as an evolutionary process, you know, and the, the speed of change is so rapid. 
what we have in this industry that it's permeated by the sales and marketing pitch and all that sort of nonsense and guff and everyone wants to take the human element out of the equation and all this sort of stuff and it you know billions of dollars are spent on technology marketing endeavors and that permeates our thinking without without question we're being if you like socially engineered to buy certain products because it's <laughs> going to do certain things and rarely does it achieve that in actual fact, if most organisations want to be fully frank, if they did the analysis on the you know the return on the investment for those, those technologies, they might be horribly disappointed. So maybe they don't want to look. But the I think there's no doubt, especially in the last three years alone, there is growing impetus to actually embrace the human side of it. There's a, a maturity that's out there in the community. I think people and organisations are starting to understand. To me, a good cybersecurity strategy should be about achieving business outcomes, reducing risk, and growing people. Too long, the security proposition has been, we're just gonna support the vertical IT stack. But I think if you start to embrace people, you're gonna find that other problems across the industry and all the organization can be solved. You can improve morale, you can reduce sick leaves, reduce staff turnover. If you actually focus on making your people happy, allow them to become your problem solvers instead of looking at them as your problem issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we might be having a different conversation, but the last 20 years has all been about getting the technology in place. And you know what? We've done a damn good job. I think the IT community and the cybersecurity community to this point deserve absolute applause. But if you look at the data out of the from the Federal Privacy Commissioner, it's very clear. Not to 95% of all data breaches that occur are attributed to human behavior. Mm. Only four to five percent is attributed to an IT failure. Mm. And therefore, okay, we need to let's address the elephant in the room and that is the human element. And particularly like you come from a health background, Tracy. I mean the health in, healthcare industry is one that's typically found it very hard to adapt to new technology. The investments always, if you're going to invest in technology, it's an MRI machine or, you know, it's a better way of doing health, mm-hmm. not necessarily a better way of securing the data asset, if you like, or the information asset. Yeah. How do you go about actually changing that perception? So I think a lot of the challenges that we face within the healthcare sector are similar to every other organisation out there as well. So I don't think we're particularly different. I think within my area and what I try and do is it's about getting the staff to understand why it's important to them. Why do they need to start thinking about cybersecurity and making it easy and accessible to them as well. So if we're putting blockers in their way, then obviously to put in a new MRI or something like that, then they're going to find ways around that. They're mm. going to bring it in anyway. So it's how do we make it relatable to them mm. and how do we actually help them achieve what they want to achieve? So I think that's where we're looking at it from. So what about, I mean, things like, you know, in like I was speaking to another guest earlier mm. and she was actually saying that like in one of the hospital environments she worked in, one of the challenges they had was password sharing because people were so busy doing work yes. that data entry was a secondary concern. So they literally hand their passwords to anyone that could do the data entry for them, which resulted in all sorts of data entry issues. How do you overcome that busyness versus the expedience? And Yeah, so that is an absolute challenge that we face all the time. We do a lot of campaign awareness around more about why is it so important to secure your passwords? Why shouldn't you share your passwords? And how to make it more accessible to actually get access to the systems. I think that's where the key is, is 
getting access to the systems in a timely manner so they can actually not be sharing their passwords with other people. So from my point of view, we do a lot of campaign work around just the importance of passwords and, you know, what are their responsibilities? Why why is it important that you don't share it and what are the rules and regulations around that, which sounds a bit boring, but a lot of people just don't understand you know, what the consequences of doing this are. Mm. And it's all about getting them to be aware of, but of what yeah, they do. And the problem you just described is not, you know, it's not just in health. It's I've got clients right across the country and uh, it's endemic everywhere. It's out of convenience, of course, and if people don't understand the foundation of why it's important they don't do it, mm. then they will do it out of convenience. Mm. And that's why it's got to be a more, not so much an awareness issue, I'd argue, but a cultural issue when behaviours become impregnated and evolve out of that knowledge and experience. So how do you build that culture? I mean, that, that's the hard thing, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, you can put all the rules you like up and you can yeah. use all the NIST frameworks in the world and all that sort of stuff. But how do you influence behaviour in that way? And you have to, it comes back to the foundations of what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. The messaging has to be made personal and it's got to be relevant. If you can make something personal and relevant for, for someone, then it's likely to, be, to become important. And when it becomes personally important, now they're listening. So if you can actually, a lot of the messaging is talking about, well, let's teach you how to be safe at home. Let's teach you how to get the fundamentals right that you can share with your children and your parents and your neighbours within your community. And you become a voice for that because we we want to invest in you so you can invest in your broader community. So is that a bit like, for example, if you're talking about like the importance of passwords, it's like, would you share your Facebook password? That's and right. if you wouldn't share that, why wouldn't why you share you it? So why are you doing the one? Is it, is it that kind of linking of the personal to the... A- absolutely. And then if you come back to the other point, so many people use the same password. <laughs> and therein, you know... Yeah, comes, one breach becomes a million. That's right. And if you can personalise it... It's, for example, I'll give you one. Uh, here's an example that... Uh, we go and we do cultural diagnostics in different organisations to find people's perceptions, attitudes, beliefs. Because if you want to build culture, first thing is it's a transformational journey. It, it takes years. It's not a let's do a module and it's over and done with. That's not culture. So if you want to understand behaviours, you've got to understand where are they now, where you want them to be and embark upon a commitment on that journey. And I say to people and sometimes, well, what's worth more, your identity or your credit card? And people say... Most people will credit say, card. some people say, <laughs> credit card, but most actually do say identity. Hmm. And I say, okay, great. Give me your credit card. On average, I can make $2,300. Give me your identity. I can make $30,000. Okay. So would you put a copy of your credit card on your Facebook page? And they'll look at me as if I'm nuts and say, no, Brian, you're an imbecile. Yeah, but how many of them put their names and phone numbers? And that's my whole <laughs> thing about what's, you, but you put your identity on your Facebook page. Yeah. And you start to see by it, the penny drop because I just personalized it. Mm. Absolutely. So that's interesting because that the traditional approach to security training, and I'm putting training in inverted commas, is it's like a, it's a 30-minute CBT, you know, computer-based thing, fill in some multiple yeah. choice. The HR department gets a, you've got 95% completion. Yeah. We're happy. We've pushed the compliance button. We can move on. And everyone's trained and cyber-aware for the next 12 months until we... Re- How do you... Because that, that's a really big shift for a lot of organisations to move away from that compliance mindset of, we did the training, so why is there a problem? Yeah. How do you how do you help businesses make that, take that journey? I totally get the whole concept of having your, you know, e-learning programs. We need to have that consistency because that gives staff, you know, 
they're modules that they go and complete every year. But it's more about having regular information, consistent information that's in their face every month. The threat landscape changes every day. We know that. There's always new you know, campaigns cap- happening, new social engineering techniques coming out. So you've got to keep the information consistent, relevant, current, give them some new stuff to look at all the time. So we um, have lots of layers to our security awareness campaign. So we have our um, e-learning programs and things like that. But then we have um, some really cool campaigns we put out every month. Plus, we do a lot of gamification. We'll do programs. We'll do tech talks. We'll do webinars. So we're consistently giving Mm. our staff a lot of different types of information and a lot of different types of ways because people like to learn in all different ways, don't they? And trying to make it relevant to not only at work but at home as well. Because I strongly believe that if we start to provide information to to our employees that matter to them where it matters most, so their family and you know, and their personal and private information, they'll bring those behaviours into work. And I mean, you don't want to go and have you're not going to sit down and have the same meal for dinner and lunch and breakfast every single day. I mean, that would be horrible. So you you can't provide a learning process that's exactly repeatable of what they did last year the year before da 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 because we know then the interest factor is zero the that's one of the things that again when we've gone and done these diagnostics is we find that oh yeah i know uh, i'm confident i know my security policies well what are they oh can't answer it they can't answer <laughs> it they can't recite them back they can't address the major elements of it mm-hmm. yet they've done them for the last five years online compliance yes knowledge, difference in behavior, absorption of that that learning to make a difference in the workplace, almost zero. So how do you go about, one because one of the things that typically happened and probably still happens in a lot of organizations is that when there's a some sort of breach or some sort of security incident, the approach tends to be punitive on the person who did it. You know, it tends to be, why did you open that phishing email? And it's like, honestly, the, the phishing emails that come around these days are pretty good. I mean, the, the days of you know, badly covered logos and poor spelling and grammar. They're kind of, yeah. those days are gone. You know, how do we flip also the, I guess, the, the central authority view of instead of punishing the person for doing it, how do you turn that into a, into a different, more positive culture? Yeah. It's a big thing for us, obviously, because we need to know what's happening out in our organisation. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't actually get a good picture and we can't then use that to educate staff further so we do really encourage when we're going out and talking to staff to say you're not going to get in trouble for, for letting us know if you do click on something it's really important to let us know what's happened and make it a safe environment these people then have also become potentially a victim of cybercrime. Hmm. So again, they need to be able to feel comfortable in talking to us and also then maybe we can offer them some assistance they might need some counseling because of the impact that that actions actually had on them because that's a whole nother side to this isn't it like it's not just about reporting is that kind of culture is that kind of counseling actually available widely now uh we have it available within our organization for sure so Mm. we have an employee assistance service available to staff and if they have become a victim of cyber crime then and they need to talk about what's happened to them then we actually have that um, ability are you saying that in the broader community brian yeah i think some are more mature than others i think that a reward culture is far more pervasive and is going to be adopted by the mainstream workforce than a big stick approach if you go back to the early days when we started to see the the first adoption of phishing simulation inside work environments, it was too often a big stick approach and people were disciplined and they had this very negative um, consequence. 
What's interesting is some of those people now are senior managers and leaders today, and you start going into these organisations and talk about, oh, we don't want it because, you know, someone was upset by it and they got trapped and because they were humiliated. Mm. What's interesting, when we go in and do interviews inside organisations, I can tell you now, everyone, pretty much, I've never had, we ask them to rate out of 10 with from the statement, I welcome fishing simulations to improve my fishing detection skills. The lowest score is eight out of 10, and people want fishing simulations directed at them to on average two to three per month because I understand the necessity of building their skill levels. Yeah, and that's that thing, isn't it? Because fishing, I mean, they are hard to detect now. Yeah. Um, I don't like to word sophisticated. They've just become very polished, haven't they? Hmm. Like, we, I look at some, I mean, I'm trained to teach people how to do this, and I look at some of them and I'm like, damn, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So we like to tell our staff, if in doubt, fish it out. That's our key thing. Beautiful. It doesn't yeah. matter whether it's, you know, if it's a legitimate email, it actually comes through our team and they'll decide if it is legitimate, they'll get it back. But, you know, just mm. send it through and let us know because, you know, mm. I would rather you fish yeah. it out and get it wrong than open that link and then compromise and, the and system. And you want to... Open culture dialogue that forgives mistakes. We all make mistakes. We're humans. That's one of our Absolutely. greatest failings, right? Is that we we know we're going to make mistakes, so we have to be accepting of that. And if we give people the right uh, encouragement, show them the right path, personalise the process, the messaging, make them part of the solution by saying we're all in this together, and we want to make a difference. This is how we can achieve it, and we want to help you to help your family. You know that broader messaging, forgive mistakes, show encouragement and nurture rather than bully, belittle, humiliate and attack and discipline, my goodness, you can turn this around. I think it's important though to start that discussion as well. And that's what's really interesting when you go out and you start having conversations with staff about cybersecurity and talking about, you know, what their responsibilities are, Hmm. they start sharing stories with you. And that story will then lead to another story. And then someone else say, oh, that actually happened to me and that happened to me. So I think that's where creating like a safe environment to talk about these things Mm. and to go, it is okay. You're not a fool for falling for it. It's creating a safe environment where they feel I can actually report it to us. They can talk to it about us and then they're not going to get in trouble for it. It actually also then helps us with our awareness work because then we can make sure that the information we're providing is actually based on what's happening out there, you know, in the current Mm. And I think you, you made a really good point. And fundamentally, I think people are storytellers and they're story listeners. You don't get a story out of an online learning module. No, you absolutely. Know? And therefore, that's why it's not resonating. Mm. Look, it's fine to get your core elements out and people know why it's there. And we know that when we've gone in and we can make something relevant and important and personally priority for someone, they're more likely to go in and pull down that online learning module because now they understand why it's, it's so important, it's important. And, and those skills are. You've got to have the multifaceted approach. has yeah. to happen. So final question for you both. And this will be interesting because you've come from diverse directions mm. into the cyber career. What advice would you give to someone who's looking for a career in cyber? Uh, so go for it. I think it's an exciting, vibrant uh, community of people globally that are passionate, they've, they've got a great purpose. I think it can be rewarding from a social, financial, and set you up for security. I think as long as you, you need to understand it's highly evolving, it's gonna continue to evolve. So your learning and application in this space has to evolve with it, otherwise you potentially could be left behind. I think I've met some of the most extraordinary people since I left the police, rather than when I was in the police. 
And I think if you can go to sleep at night knowing that you've made the world a better place and value what you do in protecting communities, people and families, then you're going to sleep pretty well and have a smile on your dial. I actually want to reach out to those people who don't have a technical background that think cyber is not a career for them because I was one of those people. Never entered my head when I was at school because this didn't exist. This career didn't exist when I was at school. So I want to encourage people who might be in that training and awareness background. They might have a marketing degree, something like that. This is a great space for you because every day there is a different challenge. I never come to work thinking today is going to be exactly the same as tomorrow because there's always something new that's coming through that we need to then communicate out to our staff and educate our staff about. So it's exciting. It's ever-changing. And I, I just really want to encourage people that haven't looked at this as a career before or think I'm, I'm not technical, this is not the place for me. This is definitely the place for you. We just need to get people that are passionate about it, that want to learn about it, and then want to share their passion with everybody else to get them on board. Because I think that's half the journey, isn't it? Like, if you're passionate about it, other people are going to join in with you and they're going to get passionate about it. And then I hope that that will actually start changing behaviours and cultures because they actually want to do the right thing and they want to start thinking about that cybersecurity behaviours better. And I think as the technology evolves and the digital footprint expands throughout, you know, organisations, communities and the way we connect with, with each other in the world, I can see the legislative environment playing a big part. I think, you know, we've got the security of critical infrastructure legislation come out later this year. I think everything everyone working from home from COVID's implications. I can see implications there and future amendments to the Workplace Health and Safety Act. And so as it goes laterally, the influence of digital and security goes laterally throughout businesses, there will be different opportunities that once upon a time never would have considered themselves to be party with cybersecurity, but will come. Thanks very much, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Now it's over to the team from OzCert. OzCert's Business Director, Beck Chebb, and Director, David Stockdale, will be telling us about upcoming events and training. Thanks, Anthony. Hi, everyone. It's Beck from OzCert here. Excited to join you today as co-host. I'd like to begin by thanking Laura, who put so much time and effort into this series of Share Today, Save Tomorrow. It's no small feat to get this off the ground, and we're very grateful that she has started us out on the podcast journey. Today, I'm talking with David Stockdale, Director of OzCert. David, thank you so much for joining me. Let's get cracking and give our listeners an update on what's been happening at OzCert. We've just heard from Brian Hay and Tracy Weeks who are both passionate about security awareness. Can you tell me about the latest OzCert training that's been developed on this front? Yeah, hi, Beck. It's good to be on the podcast again. This is a really exciting series, and I think we've had some great people contribute to this. And again, I'd like to pass on my thanks to Laura for all the great work that she's done. But I know that you're going to take on the baton, to use a bit of an Olympic analogy there, and and do just as good a job and, uh, and take that relay to completion that we want. So thanks, Beck. What's been happening? Well, I think the training thing is actually really, really exciting. I am genuinely excited for this new opportunity. This is something we tried to get started at prior to the pandemic. And of course, we had to sort of hold back a bit. But one of the uh, one of the really interesting courses that we've got is this Intro to Cyber for School Professionals, which we're delivering in conjunction with our schools net, with University of Queensland Schools Net. So for people who don't know, University of Queensland are actually an internet service provider to many schools in the southeast of Queensland. And we see an opportunity to help 
lift the awareness of both teachers and professional staff in schools about cybersecurity risks. So we're running this course and we're delivering it via the schools net, but it's available to all schools as well. And I think this is this is part of the role of a cert to be able to lift that so the knowledge of people in cybersecurity. So we see this as a core business really. Fantastic. So the first of those um, courses I believe will be hosted in September. But of course, in the meantime, if schools would prefer to um, have that hosted within their own school, we're very open to, to delivering it that way as well. So we were able to host our annual NADOC week event with Batem Solutions just in time before the Queensland lockdown came into play. Can you tell me a bit more about that event and the partnership that also it has with Batem? Mm. Well, you know, I've got to thank you, Beck, for a lot of the stuff that you do around this space. We're very fortunate in OSCERT because we have an opportunity to pursue some of those things we see as really important in some ways as social issues. And one of those is the is the First Nation issues and helping people get a start on the whole journey into cybersecurity as professionals. So we've we've partnered with Badem, who are a First, Na- First Nation supply company in this space and working closely together to develop opportunities for people. This is also in conjunction with the University of Queensland. Um, Baden provided us for the first scholarship, first in perpetuity scholarship for First Nations students. And, um, and we, we were lucky to meet the first, the, the, the first uh, recipient of that scholarship at the, at the NADOC event that we held uh, last, last week or the week before, I think it is now. So we met Dan, a great, great guy studying at University of Queensland at the moment. He's going to benefit from this scholarship. But I think the the idea that OSCERT, as a CERT, a professional cybersecurity company, can help take this message along with the likes of Badem and uh, take this message forward, hold events so to increase awareness and, and to support these really good causes is just, we're very fortunate for that. And, you know, for that, I'm really grateful. Awesome. No, it was a great event and I'm really pleased that we were able to perfectly time that one a bit like our conference this year. It's been I, I th- yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was going to, you're right, Beck. I mean, we've, we just seem to be so fortunate in being able to hit the, uh, hit these little slots of time in this current situation with, the, with various lockdowns and et cetera. And like you say, the conference just hit the right mark and this Badem event hit the, hit, just hit the right timing. As we're very fortunate. Since our last episode, we've released the OSCERT quarter two report for 2021. Is there any interesting trends or statistics that you'd like to share from that? We know that the big issues are, you know, phishing. The methodology for 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 cyber crime is 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 two. There's two make. There's two big vectors. There's phishing, a malicious email, and then there's the fact that people don't really keep the systems updated and patched. So those vulnerabilities exist out there all the time. But again, we what we saw this quarter was was interesting because we did see a bit of a decrease towards the end of the quarter in, in phishing, but it's still the number one by a long way, by somewhere in the sort of 80% of all the things that we deal with around, around phishing. And you know, again, the education piece is very important to get everybody understanding where where you know what this risk is that this is not just a silly email 
that's yeah, you know, a silly email that people can just ignore. I mean, definitely ignore it. Don't do anything about it uh, in terms of clicking on things. But but people need to be informed. You, if you're working in an organisation, your security teams need to be informed about this. If you're you know obviously also members, then alert us about these things because this is really useful because it provides intelligence for us and if you're seeing a particular email phishing campaign then we can use that information to to advise many more people so we saw continuing the fraud phishing uh, emails are the big are the big thing thank you so much for joining me david before we wrap up i do want to highlight that we will be hosting remote delivered training sessions in september and october hopefully we can get back to face-to-face training later in the year so keep an eye out to secure places we'll be advertising those in the newsletter Of course, planning for Auslet 2022 is well underway. Be sure to block the 11th to the 14th of May 2022 in your calendars. Thanks, David. Thanks, Beck. I'm looking forward to 2022 Auslet conference already. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the Auslet podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Tracy and Brian, and a big thank you to my new co-host, Beck. We'll be back each month with new guests and a look into the Australian cybersecurity industry. If you want to know more about Auslet, be sure to visit ossert.org.au.